You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. All right, well, good morning, everyone. And can I say to you and your family and your household, uh, a very happy new year. Um, can you still do that on January 15th? Yeah, yes, okay. Happy, happy new year to you. And I say that because I know that for some of the families in this church, last year was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? Um, there were some real challenges and floods and illness and all kinds of stuff. So I hope that you and your family um, have a better year this year. Um, and there's, there's one family uh, I was thinking of who had a pretty bad year last year and are continuing to have a bad year, and that's the royal family. Um, you think about the House of Windsor and how they've gone over the last 12 months or so. The passing of Queen Elizabeth um, sort of made world headlines and we, wish we all probably took notice of that. And in the middle of all of that, um, Prince Harry and Meghan have kind of doing whatever they're doing and kind of self-destructing in front of the world and they've left England and are living in the US and they've, they're no longer doing royal duties and the Netflix series came out and, and now Harry's book's out and it just feels like there's a world of pain for the royal family that seems to know no ends. Um, and I'm, look, I'm not a royalist by any means, but in watching all this stuff that's happening for the royal family, I found myself missing one person in particular. I started feeling very nostalgic for one particular person. And I think I, this, is, this is who I started... You know, I started missing the, the former Princess of Wales. Now, I, I don't know what you think about her. She was certainly a very complex character with a lot of personal frailties and her story, I mean, just a tragic story, ultimately. Um, but there was a lot of love around the world for this woman and a lot of grief when she passed. And I particularly... I particularly loved her because of two specific incidents that I saw her involved in. The first one was this, right, Did, does anyone ever seen the footage of, of this race? Uh, if go, go to YouTube, you'll find it, it's a classic. Right? So she attended a school fete or something that one of William and Harry's schools ran and there was a race for the mothers and she went in it and you watch the footage if you can find it, she just goes for it, like just belts it. Right, and I'm a runner, so I just I just love this footage, and she goes so hard that she actually almost falls over at the finish line, and it's just all royal decorum is just out the window, and I just thought, good on you, you know, what a legend. That was the first thing I saw. Um, the second thing I saw played out in the mid to late 80s. Now, if you if you lived through that period or were growing up then, you'll have been very familiar with images like this. Okay. So the HIV-AIDS epidemic exploded, you know, it was in the mid-80s, late-80s, um, and you, there, these, there was ads like this on our televisions, there was a whole lot of hysteria about this illness, um, kind of, if you don't remember that, a, a lot like the COVID pandemic kind of stuff, everyone was freaking out about this, you had these horrific, dark, grim reaper kind of images on your TV. Um, and there was a lot of misinformation about it. It was very misunderstood in the early days. So people thought it was um, purely a gay man's disease. Only, only gay men got it. People thought that you could catch it by 
sharing public space with someone. So if you're on a public train, uh, you know, public transport, and someone else had been there or with you, you might catch it, or you might catch it off a toilet seat in a public toilet. There was this real kind of hysteria about it, misunderstanding, and a lot of stigma, terrible stigma about this disease. Uh, I, I was in high school in those days, and I, I remember even being part of just the whole ugliness of contemning this thing and what it was about. And we had no idea. But as a result of all of this horrible stuff that played out, a lot of people who were actually had the virus and developed AIDS were dying these terrible deaths alone in hospitals, totally in isolation wards, um, rejected by their families, rejected by partners, wasting away and dying alone. Right? Really horrible stuff happening at the time. And in that moment, the Princess of Wales, thanks, Galen, did this, right? She went to the hospitals, visited, yeah, just that's those two, thanks, right? So visited some of these people, and do you notice? No PPE, no masks, no gowns, no gloves reaches across, shakes hands, and sits down with these people. And the, she brought the global media with her, and you, I reckon you could have heard an a, a audible intake, sharp intake of breath when she reached out and shook hands with these guys. Right? Now, I don't know what you think about her, but I'm here to tell you, that's Jesus. Right? That is Jesus. When the royalty reaches across a gap, reaches across the barriers, reaches across the separation and dares to touch people at high personal risk for the sake of healing and for the kingdom of God. Amazing stuff. I'll forever respect her um, for what she did here. And it made me think of this incident in, thanks, Matthew chapter 8. Four incredible little verses, all right? So when Jesus came down from the mountainside, Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, this is a picture of the gospel, right? In every sense of it. So if you, if you read the Old Testament, to me the number one impression you get is this sense of separation from God and humans. Right? It's right from the start. So humans make a mistake, choose to rebel against God in the garden, and straight away... What happens? There's embarrassment before God. The relationship's broken. They're kicked out of the garden. There's, there's this, these angels with flaming swords, and I don't know what that is, but guarding the way back into the garden. It's like, you're out, right? Gone, right? Into the wilderness. And then you've got things like um, Jesus appears to Moses on the mountain, remember? And, and God says to Moses, when you come out, Make sure that no other person from your people gets anywhere near the foot of this mountain or they'll die, right? So only he was allowed 
to go and sees God in a cloud. And then there's all there's the whole design of the temple itself. Like if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever spent any time thinking about the floor plan of the temple, but it's all these concentric circles, and as the circles get smaller into the Holy of Holies, there's certain allowed people who aren't allowed to come in, right? So, and ultimately, the only person who's allowed to come into the holy place where God supposedly resides is the high priest once a year. And he's only allowed to do it with this massive rope tied around his leg so that if randomly he dies in there, we can pull the guy out because we're not allowed to go in, right? It's just separation all over the place. And do you remember the story where they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant on the two poles one day and the thing... They're on some ground and it topples a little bit and some young guy actually reaches out to try and, I better just steady that, the Ark of Covenant of God so it doesn't fall, dies on the spot, right? Just dead. And it just, you keep getting this theme, separate, separate. You can't come to God. You can't, don't even try and get in the same area as him. You can't come. He's holy, you're not, we're not, don't even try. Right? Separation all the way. And then, we get a picture like this, which turns the whole thing on its head. Right? Son of God comes to earth, incarnated in a body, walks amongst humans, dares to reach out and touch one. One who is unwell, but more importantly, one who is actually unclean. So, again, you get into the whole Old Testament law, and it's all about these things that you've got to do to even be on some basic level of acceptable to God, sacrifices you've got to make, blood that's got to be shed of animals and stuff. And, and it's often about how you stay ceremonially clean so that you can come and worship God. And one of those areas, if you get time and you have a read of Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, right? I'm not going to do it now. But what they are is they're the laws in the Old Testament law about what you can and can't do if you've got a skin disease, right? And it's, it's horrific, right? So if you've got a skin disease, which includes leprosy, which what this guy had, you had to live outside the city. You weren't allowed to... So there you go. There goes your family. There goes your contacts. There goes work. There goes your cir- social circles. You live out there. You have to wear... You have to cover the bottom half of your face... You've got face masks in Leviticus chapter 13, right? Face mask, you have to ring a bell and shout unclean whenever someone comes near you and you certainly cannot go into the city and worship God in the temple, right? Just so this, is a, this person is unwell but is spiritually unclean, cannot participate, separated from God in every way, Here's God coming into that mix, turning the whole thing on its head, reaching across and touching someone with leprosy. So, again, you would have heard the sharp intake of breath around him because people would have been thinking, what the heck are you doing, Jesus? Right? Firstly, the guy is sick. Right? You don't touch these guys because you might get leprosy. And the whole mockery about the skin laws in the Old Testament with leprosy is that you don't get well. You didn't, at that time, you, didn't, you generally got it and that was the end of you, right? So, but, but more importantly, you would have heard the religious people standing around. So the religious guys were following Jesus, watching him, and they knew these laws 
And they knew who Jesus was setting himself up as this kind of rabbi and even starting to talk about being sent from God and some religious holy guy. And they see him reach across and they go, you're an idiot, man. You got no idea. Because once you touch once you touch an unclean person, you become unclean. You have to go through this whole seven day ritual, but you're not allowed to you gotta wash, you gotta have sacrifices, you're not allowed in the temple. And a spiritual person would know that. Right? And the religious people are like, What? So you can see them stepping away. Like right? As as Jesus is reaching across and in, right? People are like, What? He's going the other way. He's going in and touching, right? Um, and so you've got Jesus actually, and the, he was able to do that because ultimately he was heading to the cross where he was going to become the sacrifice himself that would make the cleanliness for this guy that he was touching. And the death of Jesus, it shows us a picture of the kingdom of God, firstly in a figurative sense, in that it shows us that he is our atoning sacrifice who steps in, reaches across the gap for us, touches us with healing through his death and restores us and connects us again. So it's a figurative picture here. This touching of the leper is a figurative picture of the kingdom of God, but I also think it's a literal picture of the kingdom of God. And that is the people of God who are the princes princesses and princesses of royalty reach across right and dare to touch and dare to touch dare to risk and there's risk involved a whole lot of risk contamination reputation misunderstanding a lot of things can go wrong there but the instinct is across and to touch right? now james preached last week and he he threw up a slide if you were here, that showed the statistics from Australia about people who identify as Christians in this land and it showed a downward, downward trend, James, wasn't it? Downward trend, right? So there's a decreasing number of people on a year-by-year basis in this country who identify as Christians. The tide's going against us here, folks. And there's a whole lot of head-scratching going on in Christian circles about... You know, after all our preaching and our teaching and our writing books and our conferences and our politicking, that we just seem increasingly impotent to make an impact on the cultures around us. The tide's going, we get a small little win here and there, but the thing's going the other way, right? And Steve asked me, well, I said, what do you want me to preach about? And he said, preach about anything, but maybe tell us about a book that you've been reading. So I've been reading this book by a guy called Andy Crouch, and it's called Culture Making, uh, Rediscovering Our Creative Calling. And he's talking about how, how should Christians position themselves in relation to the cultures that we find ourselves living in that are around us. And he, he reckons there's a whole lot of mistakes that we can make. Firstly, we can, just, we can just be culture consumers like everyone else. Right? Just, well, we live in a great country. And um, it's a good lifestyle, and we're just going to take everything that we can and just consume. So instead of the reach across, we'll just do this, right? We can do that as Christians, right? We'll just take, right? Or we can get into critique mode, right? So instead of reaching across with healing hands, we can start to, you know, 
you know, and be the ones who are calling out what we think is the wrong all the time. Okay, we can play that card. Maybe there's a time for that, but if that, I think if that's our number one approach to culture, we're missing the whole reach across, across and touch thing, right? So it's not the, it's the reach across, right? Or it might be that we, um, we actually protect ourselves, right? So we actually recoil instead of, it's like, well, we've just got to dig in here, right? And just protect what we've got and build our little patch and try not to be polluted by the world. And, and the scripture tells us that. It warns us about not being corrupted by the generations we li- and the cultures that we live in and to be holy as God is holy. But the instinct of Jesus is out and across, not backing in and... Right? Um, and I think another thing we could do is get into actual, like, we go to war with the culture, right? I mean, the history of Australia in the last 20 years is just culture wars, right? We're just going head to head and who's going to win and who, you know? You know, whereas the Jesus instinct, it's not the fist, although he could if he wanted to, but it's across and healing and touch, right? How do we... How do we relate to the culture around us? And Andy argues, and he's starting to win me over, is that we actually need to contribute creatively, cultivating with the culture around us. If you want to change the culture that you live in, the answer is to actually create more of it. More of it with the good, with the kingdom of God. Reach across, touch, Get involved. Bring the healing, right? Um, he, his critique, and I think it, it hurts, his critique of Christianity in countries like ours is that we've forgotten how to embody the message of the gospel. Like Jesus actually literally incarnated, put a body in the picture, reached across and physically touched the body of this guy. And... That's confronting to me because I'm, I'm an abstract thinker and I'm a reader and I like to talk about strategy and have a coffee with my mates and talk about ideas and stuff. And then I look at Jesus and he, he's not talking. <laughs> he's not talking. Hands are dirty. Right? Hands are dirty reaching across. Um, what does that look like for us? And is it even possible? Right? Callum, is there another, can I have another picture? Right, now, just before Christmas, uh, the Kennedy Center in the United States of America announced its annual Kennedy Center Awards, its honours list. Now, the Kennedy Center honours people who make it a, often a lifetime contribution to the arts and culture of the United States of America. And they hold, the, they hold the dinner for this at the White House and the president attends this thing. This is a big deal, right? So, and, and you think about it. If you want to impact a, a particular culture as a Christian, try and find one harder than arts and culture, right? It's a particularly fraught area and fraught for Christians. But anyway, this was the, this was the eight people who received the awards just towards the end of last year. Now, on the, bottom, on the bottom right, on this side, is a woman that I didn't know. Her name's Tanya Leon, and she's a classical musician. 
and she's a conductor and she's a composer and apparently she's got a lifetime of incredible classical music. I didn't know her, but anyway, there she is. Beside her, a familiar face for many of us, George Clooney, right? Movie star, movie maker, activist, incredible guy, right? Next across from George Clooney is a woman called Gladys Knight. Now, some of you old soul music fans will have heard of Gladys Knight and the Pips. I'm seeing a few nods. It was before my time, but Gladys Knight and the Pips, there she is right. Now, this is where this group got really interesting for me, okay? Because the woman beside Gladys Knight, I saw and I thought, that face is familiar. I, I, mean, I couldn't quite place it. Anyway, I went and did my research. That's a woman called Amy Grant. Right? Now, Amy Grant is a gospel singer who was born in the 60s and when I was a kid, she was creating gospel music and writing songs that we were singing in church. And I will ad I'll admit to this, I owned an Amy Grant album. <laughs> Steve, don't hold it against me. Right? Um, but then she did this in the 80s. She did this crossover into pop music and has some massive albums that weren't particularly Christian-focused. But she's kind of done that journey of mixing the two for the last, up till now, X amount of years. Um, six Grammy Awards, 22 Country Music Awards, just massive, right? Um, and she's stuck to her Christian faith the whole way, been open about it, been heavily criticised for some things that happened in her, heavily criticised for crossing over into the mainstream music scene, Heavily criticised for her marriage breakdown. Heavily criticised for some things she said in support of the rainbow community. Right? But she, here she is, all these years later, being honoured by the nation for con contributions to culture. Then, of course, the guys at the back are the ones who drew me to the picture in the first place, all right? Because they are, I don't know if you know them, but they're four guys from Ireland called from the top right, Bono, The Edge, Larry Mullen Juniors, uh, Jr. and Adam Clayton. And they form a band called U2. Now, it's a total cliche for middle-aged white Christian men to reference these guys. But <laughs> these guys are my heroes, right? Um, they are musicians. They formed a band that could arguably would say is one of the biggest in the last 40 years. Um, they... Three of them are Christians, right? Three of them are Christians. And I've just read Bono's memoir and Rachel's reading it and he talks about his faith the whole way through. Right? And they, they... Julia Roberts introduced them at the awards, right? Julia Roberts, the actor. And she said, it's ludicrous for one person to say to think that they can speak on behalf of the whole world. <laughs> but she said, I'm about to do it. And she said, I, on behalf of the world, I want to thank you too for their contribution to the globe. Because I don't know if you know anything about them, but besides producing a soundtrack to a whole lot of people's life and create some beautiful music, $100 billion worth of debt to third world nations, which they couldn't replay, repay got cancelled largely because of the work of these guys in partnership with other people. Um, when, when El Salvador started to destroy itself and a whole lot of mothers' children disappeared in the revolution, these guys got involved to support families whose, whose children had been killed by the 
revolutionary stuff that was going on there. When the World Trade Centers fell down and the whole of the US was in mourning, these guys played at the Super Bowl and set up these two screens behind them that were like 50 foot high and that looked like the towers and they scrolled down the 3,000 names of every single person who had been killed and it was an outpouring of grief and healing for the nation at that point. And you could go on. They had the, they had the guys, the two parties from the Good Friday Agreement in Ireland shaking hands on stage, you know, when Ireland had been tearing itself apart for 100 years. I mean, they, Christians who wade into the mess and they've been criticised for compromise and being liberals and making mistakes and they have made them and they, they've had to work in political situations that they, people have misunderstood, the choices they made. But look, here they've got someone standing up and saying, on behalf of the world, we want to thank you for what you've done. Now, they're musical geniuses, right? I, I play the guitar and I'm never going to sound like The Edge. But... How do we be part of creating and cultivating in a way that lifts all of our, our whole culture and has people saying, thank you for what you've done, right? Instead of how they often view Christians at the moment, which is A, we are irrelevant at best and at worst, dangerous and extremist. How do we make something better happen? What does it look like for us as a church? And I think our church is actually well on the way with this stuff quite frankly. Um, some of the stuff that happens here, particularly Monday to Friday, I think is about reaching across. It's about reaching across the gaps between us and the rest of the community and particularly with people who are struggling, ostracised, marginalised, stigmatised. I think we're doing it here, okay? I think let's do more of that. Right? That's the Jesus thing, the impulse to reach out across and heal. Um, I actually, I wrestled with this stuff on a daily basis, okay? So, my, just very quickly, my story is 20 years in ministry, working for churches, in churches and around churches. Then kind of sliding out into chaplaincy, which is employed by Christian organisations, but to work in social, uh, secular contexts. Through one of those avenues, I now am no longer connected with Christian organisation, but are working solely for a secular organisation, which is Twin Town Services Club on the border. Um, so I work for the gambling industry. Okay? My wage is paid by the gambling dollar, and my role is to work as the responsible gambling officer to work with our staff to minimise harm with people in the poker machine rooms. All right, you with me? Now, on a daily basis, I have to check myself as to whether I've compromised myself or whether I'm in an ethical, difficult, ethically difficult position. And sometimes I reckon I'm okay with it, and some days I actually reckon I'm not. Um, if if you want to pick an, a, an industry where Christians are sus on, there's not too many more than the gambling industry, and maybe rightly so. Actually, I'm not pro gambling, um, but. I'm still sticking to the Jesus impulse, right? As best I can in the moment, which is get across the gap and actually touch people who are stigmatised, lonely, sick, damaged, alone, right? And it isn't easy. And you run the risk of reputational damage. You run the risk of being compromised. 
you run the risk of having your Christian friends going, what's he doing? Right? You've seriously lost the plot over here, brother. But I want to tell you, if you're interested in seeking and saving the lost, like Jesus was, and you're not sure where to find them in your community, I'll tell you. Go to your local pub, go to your local club or casino, and go to the gaming room. There's a lot of people there who are just having a good time and being entertained, but there's people there who are very lonely, very lonely, addicted, in, in struggling in so many ways. Have a go at that. Guess what? It's really hard. It's really hard. But I believe the, I'm following the Jesus impulse and I'm trusting that if he gets involved in that, something good might be created there that the world actually thanks us for. Time will tell. But I guess I want to leave you with a challenge, and that is, what, is, what does the reach across look like for you? All right, for you personally, where, don't, don't be, don't, let's get away from this or this or, what, what does this look like for you in 2023? Touching, right? And, and your household, right? What does it mean for your household and your family? How can we... Don't know, you'll have to work it out, but I reckon if you pray about it, God will make it immediately and abundantly clear who and where he wants you to touch. Um, Let's pray about that, shall we? Lord Jesus, firstly, we want to thank you for not leaving us hanging out here in the middle of nowhere, separated and lost on our own. Uh, There was nobody back, but we just want to thank you, Jesus, for not abandoning us, but for reaching across. And now, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would fill us as individuals and as families and households and as, as a church community. Fill us and show us who and where, Lord. Who, who needs the healing touch? How can we do it? How do we get across there? Show it to us, Lord. And can you come with us? Um, because it's hard and there's fear in this for us. But Lord, we're just trusting that through your spirit, You'll do a new work and that you'll create wonderful things and the kingdom will come and people will thank you for it. Lord Jesus, help us with this. Guide us. We ask you for your empowering. In Jesus' name, amen.